0: All right, good evening, everybody. Today, or tonight, we're going to be in uh, 1 Corinthians, if you want to turn there in your Bibles, chapters 4 and 5. There's a youth night on the 15th. Um, There's a sign-up sheet out there, not a sign-up sheet, but a flyer you can take if you need one, and uh, that'll let you know what's going on. BB guns and... And bone arrows, not at each other, targets, targets, although with safety glasses and well supervision, I think it'd be fine, but I don't know. <laughs> What'd you do at church? Ah, we shot each other. That's not a good thing to do. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the time we get to spend in it. Tonight's chapters really help us understand the first century church and um, what we're supposed to be doing. And... Um, what was so normal for them and normal for Paul, um, we're moving away from that and we're seeing the effects of our lack of diligence. And so, God, I pray that you'd help us to open our eyes, open our ears, give us hearts receptive to everything you have for us. We pray that your Holy Spirit would be our teacher and guide tonight. In Jesus' name, amen. Tough letter to write to the Corinthians. This is actually Paul's second letter to them. We'll, we'll discover that tonight. It says 1 Corinthians, but this is really 2 Corinthians. And then 2 Corinthians would be 3 Corinthians. We just don't have 1 Corinthians. We don't have the letter, Wish we did. But this is a good follow-up, and everything that needed to be discussed about that first letter we don't have is covered in, in these two that we do have. Paul begins in chapter 4 about being a steward of the mysteries of God. He felt a, a calling and a responsibility. even at one point called himself, he's a dispenser. Um, He he dispenses the gospel. He gives it out. Um, And he felt there was a a responsibility to be a steward, a good steward. We don't use that word a whole lot. Um, I don't think many of us say, I'm a steward. Um, we're a keeper. We are a, uh, someone who oversees or is a, a watchman or a watchwoman over a certain area or a certain responsibility. Tonight, John had to be called in to do something at his, his work, and so I was given the stewardship of the front door. That was my stewardship. I had to make sure the door was open and make sure no bad guys got in. You know, I don't know what I was going to do, maybe throw rocks at them or something, but that was my job, a steward. So keep that in mind as we discuss the mysteries of God. You're a steward of the mysteries of God. Um, he felt a responsibility to keep those, to make sure they were dispensed properly and they were kept pure. I think that's the most important part of this. Because Paul, at the end of the book of Acts, um, as he's speaking to the leaders of the church before he, he felt his time was close, about done. So he pulls them aside. He says, you know, after my departure, savage wolves are going to come in. From among you and from with from, from the outside and from, from the inside. And you need to guard yourself. You need to know what you believe. You need to know um, what it is that Christ did for us at the cross. Many people um, had to be taught over and over again to understand what it meant to be saved. What, saved from what? And and for what purpose? And is there another way? And, and all these things. And and so Paul says you need to be a steward, and he felt that responsibility. But in the in, the, uh, in light of the entire book here that we're reading, this next chapter, chapter 4, goes along with, it's not just Apollos, and it's just, not just me, uh, Paul, it's not just Peter, it's everybody that's been given the responsibility of, of holding and reading and dispensing the Word of God to anybody in any form. You're a steward of that, and we're not allowed to uh, be at liberty to change that or to move it or to uh, move the boundaries of those things. So he tries to rein a man and explain his position. In verse 1, Let a man so consider us as servants of Christ and stewards of the mysteries of God. Moreover, it is required in stewards that one be found faithful. But with me, it is a very small thing that I should be judged by you or by a human court. In fact, I do not even judge myself, for I know of nothing against myself. Yet I am not justified by this, But he who judges me is the Lord. Therefore, judge nothing before the time until the Lord comes, who will both bring to light the hidden things of darkness and reveal the counsels of the hearts. Then each one's praise will come from God. Paul begins by saying, I'm a steward of these mysteries, but I also want to be found faithful as being a steward of these mysteries. I mean, I'm not going to be a steward for 24 hours. I'm going to be a steward for my life, my lifetime. I'm going to be a good steward. He goes on to say, it's a small thing that I should be judged by you. You may look at me and cast your opinions and your thoughts and all these things. It doesn't make any difference to me. Um, I don't even judge myself, Paul says, because only God can be the judge. He understands that. And eventually, as a believer in Jesus Christ, although all of my sins have been forgiven, I'm going to stand before God and all the works that I did because of my salvation, not for it, but because of, it's all going to be kind of, looked over. It's a review process, maybe. He he calls it a fire that burns through, and everything that was kind of of myself, things that were self-gratifying or exalted myself or brought myself glory, those things all kind of burn away. My motives are exposed. But those things that were for Christ and by Christ and brought Him glory, those things will stand. And that's really the end of it. That's our judgment. Bad things get burned away, the things that were not of the Lord, and the things that we did for Christ, well, those will stand. And it'll probably be a much smaller scale than I think, you know. I I like to think that I've got a bushel full, but it, it might be a cup. You know, I don't know, by the time God's done looking at everything. Paul says, my heart is and my desire is to be a good, faithful steward in such a way that I'm just adding to those things. I'm adding to that bushel of good works that I've done, not for myself, but for him. All of us, Paul is getting at, even Apollos and myself and Peter and anybody that teaches the word of God. It needs to be done with pure motives. And so you need to be a good steward, not a bad steward, a faithful steward. A couple of scriptures that came to mind in Proverbs chapter 11, verse 13, a talebearer reveals secrets. But he who is a faithful, who is of a faithful spirit conceals a matter, a faithful friend, doesn't feel like it needs to, or they need to broadcast your problems, your faults. They're someone that can keep a secret. Not, not because they want to keep someone from finding out your, you know, but they don't feel like they need to gossip about you is the idea. They can, they can keep that in confidence. It's none of your business. It's none of my business. Thank you for confiding in me, and it, it won't go beyond this moment. I won't tell anybody. That's a true friend. That's a faithful friend. In Numbers chapter 12, verses 6 through 8, it's a little different version of being a faithful steward. Then he said, Hear hear now my words. If there is a prophet among you, I, the Lord, make myself known to him in a vision. I speak to him in a dream. Not so with my servant Moses. He is faithful in all my house. I speak with him face to face, even plainly, and not in dark sayings. And he sees the form of the Lord. Why then were you not afraid to speak against my servant Moses? Now, God considers that faithfulness worthy of even a closer relationship with him. It's interesting. Well, we're all, we all have even access to God. True, but a faithful person, a faithful servant of God might be called upon more often to be serving the Lord than someone who's unfaithful. Now, we miss it every once in a while. We'll miss those opportunities to serve God, to be a good steward. We missed the chance. It doesn't mean that God says, well, that's it. I gave you your shot. You'll get other shots. It teaches us to keep our eyes wide open, though, to be that go-to. Bo asked me the other day, Dad, did you play baseball? I thought my expertise in all areas proved that I proved ba- I had to tell him, yes, I played baseball. What position? Third base. Well, that's, the ba- that's what I play. He says, it's a legacy. I said, well, yeah, that's, that's what it is. Yeah. We're short, stocky kids that can throw the first base. That's, all the, that's the only reason we're at third. We're not exactly agile. That's why we're not at shortstop. But we can stop a ball, you know, kind of thing. Well, that's not the only place they put me. They started me off in, and, and I can never remember this. So it tells you I don't know much about baseball. But, which is the busy outfield? Is that the left field? Left field. Okay, thank you. Now, I'll never forget that now that I've embarrassed myself in front of everybody. Well, they put me in left field. And sure enough, I mean, in Little League, what are the odds of someone hitting it out there? Usually you're throwing your glove up in the air and see how many times you can spin around before, it, you know, or you're watching the butterfly float around. But there it came. It's a pop-up. And I dropped it. Never played that position again. <laughs> Coach never put me back out there again. I did not get a second chance at that position ever. I got right field a lot, you know, <laughs> until a lefty came up. Then they put me over the other side or whatever. <laughs> the idea is that's not how it is with God. And don't think of him that way. You get another chance. You get other shots. He'll give you opportunities. You missed it. That's all right. Keep going. You get another pop-up, get a chance. At, and if you drop it, well, maybe we need to practice a little bit, you know, and God will do that with us in service. Well, that's the idea, Moses was a man who was faithful. I mean, ridiculously faithful. I, Jenny and I were talking. We we had these moments. It was the funniest moment. Uh, we 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 usually sit. She sits there and I sit there and we're in the morning and I'm drinking whatever caffeinated beverage I'm supposed to be drinking and she's drinking her caffeinated beverage and we're talking to each other and and uh, but that didn't happen that morning or is it, I think it was Yesterday, yesterday I think it was. But she was by the milking machine, by the and, that, and that there's a doorway, and I'm over here, and you just have these moments, and we sat there and talked for like 15 minutes between this doorway, and just, here it is, this is the time. And it came up, um, what were we talking about? Uh, how Jesus, when he was walking, <laughs> he was walking, and the guys, he's he going to the next town, and the disciples kind of, they, they, they laid back a little bit so that he couldn't hear them. And they start talking about who's the greatest. Now, he's not stupid. I mean, he's omniscient, omnipotent. He knows what's going on back there, but he's walking ahead and all the guys are just like letting him get ahead of him. And they're like, I still think I'm the best, you know, kind of thing. And they're talking to each other. So they finally get to the place. He says, what are you guys discussing? And they are like, well, you know, they didn't want to say because they knew. Well, he knew too. And so he tries to explain to them. Imagine what Moses had to go through. As he's walking and he's following the pillar of fire, come on, we're following the fire, we're following the smoke, let's go. And everybody starts laying back a little bit, you know, because you know, they're just watching him and they're walking. I, 100 yards, maybe 200 yards behind him, grumbling and complaining. I didn't bring any watermelon. Did you bring any watermelon? Where are the leeks? Where are the onions? Sure better back and eat all the things they would talk about and Moses is just walking and following this thing and and then after coming to the Jordan and not going across because they had some spies that said I don't think we can do it and from disbelief and unbelief they couldn't go across so God says you got 40 years of walking around in the wilderness now I mean you guys can just stay back there as far as I'm concerned but he's faithful For 40 years, he still led them in front of them and walked around, even though they had unbelief. Jesus, faithful, you know, even though they're grumbling, complaining and trying to figure out how how, how a child could be better than them. Even though Jesus said specifically, unless you become like this child, there's no way. He's the greatest. Moses was faithful to the point where God says, I call him my friend. We're, we're that close. I speak to him face to face, not like the prophets. Prophets are called and they do what I tell them to do. And, they're, and they, Not Moses, he's different. I, I, I'm, I still hold on to this, and I believe this is true. You can be as close to God as you want to be. You can be as close to Jesus as you want to be. It's up to you. It's up to me how close we are to him, how faithful we are to be good stewards of what he's given us not money we always bring that back to money that you do need to be a good steward of your money but not nearly as important as being a good steward of God's word in your heart being faithful in that that he knows that you're the go-to man or the go-to woman when it comes time to share the gospel with somebody or to explain scripture to somebody that you're the one you know because you will faithfully say absolutely I'll do it Kind of fearless in the sense that I know that God's called me. Of course I'm going to do it. How could I go wrong by obeying God? And so there's another scripture. Jeremiah 23, 28. The prophet who has a dream, let him tell a dream. But he who has my word, let him speak my word faithfully. What is the chaff to the wheat, says the Lord? That's the comparison between prophecies and God's word. God's word is far superior to prophecies, far superior to visions. God's word is everything. It's amazing. It's alive. It's sharper than any two-edged sword. It cuts between the joint and the marrow, between the soul and the spirit. It's a discerner of our hearts. That's a little intimidating to know that as I read God's word, if I read the Bible, just read it, and I'm honest, and I say, Lord, show me everything you need to show me. That's a safe prayer. That all of a sudden he begins to discern and begins to bring conviction, encouragement, heals wounds. Amazing things take place. But you have to first believe that that's what God's Word does before you can be a good steward of it. If you don't understand those things about the Word of God, how could you be a steward of it? Sometimes I get worried about who's in charge of the nuclear codes in our country. Are they a good steward? Do they understand? Do they comprehend Do they know what it means to have that kind of responsibility, to have that football follow you around wherever you go, and your handprint is all that it takes? Are you a good steward? I think it's important. You know what? Every president should probably be, and maybe they are, who knows, taken into one of those silos. Maybe watch a few films. Maybe see some of the destruction firsthand of what these things do, what it would look like. Give them the actual scenarios and the breakdown of all that would take place in a nuclear winter. I think that'd be important. Likewise, with God's word, which is far more powerful than anything I've just discussed with you, are we good stewards? Do I understand what I hold in my hand? This kind of uh, complements what, hap- what we talked about on Sunday when we talked about Martin Luther or Tyndale or, or, uh, or any of these guys that died for the word of God. They understood, they comprehended, they were faithful. And I hope we are too. And so Paul just says, we're just faithful stewards. We want to be faithful stewards of what God... It's a very small thing to be judged by you. I don't really care what you think. I'm going to do what God tells me to do. I'm called to be a faithful steward of God's mysteries. not here to make sure that you like me or that you're pleased with me. He says, therefore, judge nothing before the time until the Lord comes, who will both bring to light the hidden things of darkness and reveal the counsels of the heart. Then each one's praise will come from God. Now, these things, brethren... I have figured will be transferred to myself and Apollos for your sakes, that you may learn in us not to think beyond what is written, that none of you may be puffed up on behalf of one against the other. For who makes you different from another? And what do you have that you did not receive? Now, if you indeed did indeed receive it, why do you boast as if you did not receive it? The word in chapter 4 and chapter 5 is going to be puffed up. It's not a word we use. Right? Arrogant. The church is very arrogant. This church was, specifically. They're very arrogant with what they could do. Um, they love the gifts of the Spirit, which is fine. Nothing wrong with the gifts of the Spirit unless you use them wrongly, unless you're not humble. If you don't have humility, you have no business wielding any of the gifts of the Holy Spirit. That's the first and foremost thing is to have humility and love. And he'll discuss that in chapter 13 when we get there. But they became arrogant. And so Paul says, you know, you do differ from one another. And you think that your differences, and you begin to put tears, terraces. Who's better? Who's higher? Well, you know, the gift that helps. Who doesn't have that gift? <laughs> That's a common one. Who can't change a toilet paper roll in a bathroom? You know, well, you'd be surprised. Someone who can do it with love and humility? Very few. Very rare, actually. It's actually a higher gift in some cases. But then the gift of tongues, well, that's pretty cool. You can speak in another language that you never studied, that you never learned. Then, inter- gift of interpretations, now you're knowing their language and you can interpret and tell everybody else. That's pretty cool. Gift of miracles, you made a leg grow back. That's amazing, you know. And so we have these, and that's how they would do it, you know. I'm the leg grow back guy, you know. <sighs> Front seat. I'm the helps guy. There's a toilet that needs, you know, adjusting. God said, Paul says, this this ought not to be. Besides, who gave you the ability to do that with love and humility? And who gave you the ability to do that? You're not doing that of yourself. If you're operating in the gifts of the Spirit, it is his gift. You're just a tool. You're a vessel. There's nothing to be prideful about, nothing to be arrogant about. You're the one that's been made different by God. So he's the one that gets the glory for that. Don't take that away from him. Um, It's a dangerous thing. Verse 8. This is where he gets very sarcastic. Um, These are rhetorical questions and very sarcastic statements. You are already full. You are already rich. You have reigned as kings without us. And indeed, I could wish you did reign that we also might reign with you. For I think that God has displayed us, the apostles, he says, last. As men condemned to death, for we have been made a spectacle to the world, both to angels and to men. We are fools for Christ's sake. but You, you are wise in Christ. We are weak, but you are strong. You are distinguished, but we are dishonored. To the present hour, we both hunger and thirst, and we are poorly clothed and beaten and homeless. And we labor, working with our own hands, being reviled, we bless. Being persecuted, we endure. Being defamed, we entreat. We have been made as the filth of the world, the offscouring of all things until now. See, they had a hard time with Paul because Paul didn't speak like the paid speakers. He wasn't a good motivational guy. He had a squeaky little voice, a long hooked nose, and he had weepy little eyes because he had some sort of pussy problem. There's not much to look at. He needed Botox, you know, just not the kind of guy. It's a dangerous place to be, Paul's being sarcastic. You're already full because you shouldn't be yet. We're not in heaven, and the apostles aren't, and we're the ones that are leading. You're already rich. You shouldn't be. Our riches are in heaven. How could you possibly be boasting about your riches? How could you be post- boasting about your fullness, You're reigning as kings? He says, without us. I guess we missed the boat. I guess we didn't get the call. I guess God didn't bring us up from the miners. I'm glad you guys did, though. He's being sarcastic. I indeed wish you did reign because we should be reigning with you, right? Is the idea. As an apostle, if you're reigning and ruling and doing all these things, shouldn't we be there too? Or maybe not, you know? He's not happy with them. It's a tough thing to bring in church discipline. That's what this is. Chapters four and five. This is a brother, an older brother, a father of the faith, he's going to call himself, talking to people that have, well, they've outgrown him. We've discussed this several times. At first, you get saved, and the person who led you to the Lord can do no wrong. Oh, that's just, oh, 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 you've got to come here. You've got to come. And after a while, you're like, I'm getting it. I'm getting it. I think I can do this. And then after a while, you're like batting their hand away. Leave me alone. I got this. I got this. And then after that, what do you know? It's like the teenage phase. Not always. Not all teenagers. Sorry. What do you know, Dad? You know, don't trust anybody over 30 or whatever. Then they get a little bit older, and they start having responsibilities laid on them. They begin to get into the ministry a little bit more, and they realize, oh, oh, oh. Then the phone call starts happening. Hey, Dad, I was wondering if you knew about this. What do you do in this situation? Have we not all gone through that with our parents, right? Oh, I'm going to do better. I'm going to do better. I'm going to rise above. I'm going to be on. You don't know what you're... Hey, Dad, kitchen sink. It's leaking. What do I do? Well, Paul's calling him on it as a good father does. I'm not going to let this go, because it's to your detriment to let this continue in your life. This arrogance, it's overtaking you. It's going to choke out God's love in your life. This arrogance and pride is going to unforgiveness and lack of mercy and not seeing others higher than yourself, it's all. This is not what the church is supposed to look like, Paul says. This is not how I left you. This is not where I led you. You think you're wise? Okay. Well, we're the weak ones, I guess, but I'm glad you're strong. You're distinguished, but we're dishonored. Jesus tried to explain that over and over again, and I'm sure Paul taught the same thing. That the way up is the way down. If you want to be the greatest in the kingdom of heaven, you've got to be a servant of all. And not just... Not the appearance of it. You can wear a loincloth and wash people's feet, but if you're doing it because you want everybody to see you wearing a loincloth and washing everybody's feet, you may as well not do it. That's not the point. The point is they had dirty feet, and I just love them, and I know that how uncomfortable that is to have dirty feet and stuff between your toes. They wore sandals all over the Middle East. Can you imagine how that would feel to have someone take some water and just start washing all that stuff? Oh, you know, it's like at the end of the day, maybe you don't do this, but I do. You take your shoes and your socks off. It's kind of gross. Don't judge me. And you take your toes on the carpet. You just kind of, ooh, ooh. <laughs> or you get into bed and you kind of shuffle your feet a lot. in the Oh, I just love that. Oh, it's so nice to get your shoes off. That's the idea. Jesus wanted them to have that. He didn't care about, does everybody see what I'm doing? He does bring it up later, but he wants him to know I did this because I love you, and I know that we all needed our feet washed tonight, and nobody stepped up to do it. So I'll do it. I don't mind doing it. I just I, let's just get that done. You know, and he was willing to do it. The closer you get to Jesus, and the more you decide to follow Jesus, the more dishonored you'll be, the less you'll be loved and talked about behind your back. That's just it. That's how it is. You don't gain honor you don't gain distinguishment you don't it doesn't happen that way jesus at the pinnacle of his public ministry is crucified on the cross expect that expect that that's part of it to this present hour we're we're hungry and sorry we're hungry and thirsty we're poorly clothed we're beaten and we're homeless how are you guys doing Corinth? We're doing great. Hmm. There's a disconnect that Paul's trying to help them overcome. We're reviled, we're persecuted, but we endure. We're defamed, but we entreat. We've been made as the filth of the world of the world and the offscouring of all things until now. That's a good t-shirt. I'm a bathtub ring in the kingdom. That's what I'm here for. That's what I'm considered. Verse 14. I do not write these things to shame you, but as my beloved children, I warn you. For though you might have 10,000 instructors in Christ, yet you do not have many fathers. For in Christ Jesus, I have begotten you through the gospel. Therefore, I urge you, imitate me. For this reason, I have sent Timothy to you, who is my beloved and faithful son in the Lord, who will remind you of my ways in Christ as I teach everywhere and in every church. I couldn't get there, but I sent Timothy because he'll tell you just what I told you, but he's going to just remind you. Paul says, you need to imitate me. That's the hardest thing, I think. We like teachings, we like books, we like uh, gathering Bible studies and listening to things and doing all those things, but to imitate someone who's imitating Christ, Paul's able to say that, imitate me as I imitate Christ. Find an example in your life that God has placed there. They may not be giving you what you think they should be giving you, but are they the ones you should be imitating? Imitate them. Paul says, I'm not doing this to make you all beneath me. I'm not trying to exalt myself above you. I'm just saying I'm your spiritual father. And this is the condition that I live in, in Jesus Christ. And I'm wondering why my children aren't living in the same condition. This is a symptom of a problem that you have, Corinth. You have a problem in your church with pride and with arrogance. And you think that you're exalted. And the apostles aren't. So there's something wrong. I'm not trying to shame you. I'm trying to warn you. Anybody see your kids going in the wrong direction? <laughs> and you pray for them. And you you wait for it to come up in a conversation. And you might want to just say something to them. You know, I was thinking about that thing you said the other day. I don't know if that's a good idea or not. <laughs> yeah, I don't think there's any future in that. <laughs> but, I mean, I want to support you. You know, I want to be a loving, supporting guy. But that's not going to go well, you know. That's going to fail when it comes to spiritual things. When the apostle Paul looks at you and writes you a letter and says, what you're doing is going to be a disaster for you spiritually. Amazingly enough, as arrogant and puffed up and prideful as this church is, they receive it. I'm trying to figure out how that broke through. There can be no other way other than the Holy spirit. There can be no other way. How do you preach repentance and humility to an arrogant person? Because they don't think that they need to listen to you. They think you're less. But there it is. Imitate me. I'm urging you. I sent Timothy. Timothy's standing there. <laughs> you know? I don't know what Timothy looked like. I bet he was a little more imposing than Paul, though. Verse 18. Now, some are puffed up, Arrogant. As though I were not coming to you. <laughs> you're, you're, you're big, way over there, you know, but I'm coming. But I will come to you shortly if the Lord wills, and I will know not the word of those who are puffed up, but the power for the kingdom of God is not in word, but in power. What do you want? Shall I come to you with a rod or in love and the spirit of gentleness? You don't hear that anymore. I'm going to come, and it's up to you how I show up. Are we going to hug and embrace and talk about the good old days when I first was here? Or am I going to bring a rod of correction with me? That's up to you. We didn't think he was coming back. I thought he was in prison. Now he's out. <laughs> and he's coming. Oh, well, that's going to be really awkward. <laughs> Because he taught us about humility. He taught us about grace, mercy, forgiveness, how to conduct ourselves. And we've all kind of agreed without saying it out loud. And we're not doing that in the church. Everybody knows they're not doing it. Everybody's looking around at everybody else saying, well, yeah, that's not right. That's not right. I'm not exactly living right. But as long as nobody talks about it, we're all okay because everybody's doing the same thing. Until someone who shows up, who knows what they're talking about, who does believe what Christ taught and begins to act that way in front of them. And then you realize how far away you are from Christ. So Paul showing up at this church would be super embarrassing. As he stands there in his raggedy clothes, you know, and his fresh wounds from being beaten for the gospel. And all these guys are showing up with the brand new whatevers, you know, Rolls Royce camels or whatever. How awkward that would be. I'm coming. I want to come with gentleness. I want to come in love, but it's up to you how I come. It might come, I might come with a rod of correction. Nobody wants to sit through that service. Chapter 5. It is actually reported that there is sexual immorality among you. And such sexual immorality as is not even named among the Gentiles that a man has his father's wife exclamation point. This is going on in your church. What's Paul saying? He's going to clear this up, just in case you're wondering. There is a mixed multitude. There are those moments where it's everybody, believers and unbelievers in the crowd. There's nothing you can do about that. That's a different kind of ministry. But when it comes to someone who's a named believer in Jesus Christ, they're to be called out on their sin. And this is that situation. No, you can't do that. The Gentiles are even saying this. I've heard this clear over here that this is taking place in your church and you're proud of it and you're boasting in it. And you think it's a wonderful thing. See, people don't understand. Well, that's a loving thing to do. It's a loving thing to do. To accept. To bring. No, it's not. And we've talked about this. I don't know how much stronger. I can't be more strong. Christ died for sins. What are the sins? Just work it out. Do the mental gymnastics if you have to. Think it through. What are my sins? What are the sins of the world? They're, they're named And if those are named, and that is what God calls sin, and he died for those things, and you begin to take some of those sins and say those aren't sins, because that's the loving thing to do is to not bring it up or to discuss it or whatever. That's not loving. That's keeping them from forgiveness, from the healing and the restoration they need with their God. The whole point of Jesus Christ is that he's bridged the gap between us separated from him and God the Father. I'm the one. He who has the son has the father. He who does not have the son does not have the father. I'm the I'm the bridge. And when you say there is no chasm, that there is no bridge, there's no gap. There is no Jesus. There's no reason for him. What's the point? It's not loving. You're hindering what the Holy Spirit's trying to do in people's lives. Paul is not afraid to bring this up. This is a public letter being read in the church. And this guy and this gal are sitting there. (laughs) The whole crowd just went and looked at him. And that look, not of condemnation, but of you've been called out on your sin. is what's going to change because in chapter, in 2 Corinthians, this guy Repents. After this moment right here, after they received this letter from Paul, the Corinthians do what they're supposed to do. This kid repents of his sin and he's received back in with love and he's a better person because of it. We forget about that. God doesn't save us to sin. He saves us from it. He doesn't leave us in our condition. He pulls us out and makes us better. Holy, be holy for I'm holy. He desires that. And here's what he says about this. I've heard about this thing. And you are arrogant or puffed up and have not rather mourned that he who has done this deed might be taken away from among you. For I indeed, as absent in the body, but present in spirit, have already judged as though I were present him who has done this, who has so done this deed. Not supposed to judge each other. Okay. What did Paul just teach? That's not judging. That's just facts. I've judged it. God's word says that that's wrong and that's sin says so. We've gone over it. That's in the Old Testament and still in the New Testament. What was horrible back then is still horrible today. God changes not. And so I've judged. That's wrong. It's it's ridiculous to go outside and say the grass, I'm not going to be judgmental. It may be green. It may be yellow. It may be blue. It may be red. It's a personal preference of yours. No, It's green. It's absolutely green. The sky is absolutely blue. It's awfully judgmental. You're awfully sure of yourself. We can become ridiculous, and our society is becoming more and more ridiculous. Paul's just calling it like it is. Look, that's sin. They all know it. Nobody's shocked by that statement being read in the church. They're all like, oh, yeah, I know, but we just didn't want to bring it up kind of thought it was cool that we had, you know, we were still worshiping God and still letting that take place in our church. No, it's wrong. I've judged it. In the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, when you are gathered together along with my spirit and the power of our Lord Jesus Christ, deliver such a one to Satan for the destruction of the flesh, that his spirit may be saved in the day of the Lord Jesus. Paul's the most loving in the whole group. By saying it out loud, by calling him to repentance, by allowing that to die in his life, sin must die. You save the spirit. He makes it clear in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, you need to do this. You need to deliver that one. If he won't repent to Satan for the destruction of his flesh, that needs to die. Because that's all that's causing it is the flesh. Our flesh would have us do all sorts of stuff. And we can all say, in the name of Jesus, I think that's okay. And it's not. To walk in the spirit and to walk in the flesh are two different things. And they're juxtaposed. They're not friendly. They're not amiable. They do not like each other. One will be on the throne if the other one is not. They don't share. The spirit needs to lead us. Verse 6. You're glorying in this sin, in this situation, is not good. Do you not know that a little leaven leavens the whole lot? But I thought we were being accepting and loving and all that. No, it's permeating your fellowship. It's changing it. Well, I know, but I didn't think, I didn't think, I didn't. We've got to trust God's word more than we trust our own ability to see the future and how this sin is going to affect our church. It's sin, we've got to call it out. I think we should Wait. Okay, but you run the risk of exactly what God told us would happen, that this is going to run amok and it's going to cause other people to sin too. It's going to spread because if that's okay, then this is okay. If this is okay, that's okay. If this is okay, I never thought it would lead to all that. That's because it's a little leaven, leavens the whole lump. A little bit of yeast put in a little bit of dough or a lot of dough spreads throughout the whole thing and the whole thing begins to rot. It's very important. Therefore, purge out the old leaven. That you may be a new lump, since you truly are unleavened. For indeed, Christ, our Passover, was sacrificed for us. Therefore, let us keep the feast, not with old leaven, nor with the leaven of malice and wickedness, but with the unleavened bread of sincerity and truth. Paul has a wonderful way of saying the hardest things in the most loving and compassionate way. Because nobody looks at Paul and thinks he's trying to make himself bigger than them, above them, more, more prestigious than them. He started off that way, lowly and saying, no, I just want you to understand these things are wrong. And they're, they're going to they're stunt your growth spiritually. They need to go. I wrote to you in my epistle. That's how we know this is number two, letter two. There's a previous epistle. I wrote to you in my epistle not to keep company with sexually immoral people. Yet I certainly did not mean with sexually immoral people of the world or of this world or with the covetous or the extortioners or idolaters. Since then, you would need to go out of the world. Did you hear that? It's very important to understand that. The sexually immoral in the church named believers in Jesus Christ. No, I'm not going to fellowship with you. I don't know. I think I need to go to the wedding. Are they believers in Jesus? Do they claim Christ as their savior? Yeah. Then don't go. They need to know it's wrong. They need to know you can't do that. Are they unbelievers? Do they not know Jesus? Well, you can't avoid that. We should never expect the world to follow biblical principles. They don't understand them. They can't. They won't. We're the ones called to that. We're the ones called to be salt. We're called to be light in this world. And then we go to the dark places and we still need to be salt and light. What we're trying to do to be more accepting and not so blinding to those in the darkness is to dim our bulbs, to reduce our saltiness. We don't want to offend. We don't want them to squint when they see us. And Paul, I mean, tell you what, when this guy showed up, blinding or eye-opening, depending on how you look at it, We have a serious problem in the church worldwide with sin being accepted. I think we all know it. I mean, I'm not saying anything. Oh, I can't believe he's going to say that out loud. No, we all absolutely know it's taking place. And it's affecting the whole lump. And the church has become ineffective in this world. Not light, not salty. No difference, no distinction at all. They look exactly like everybody else in the world. So what's the point? Why do I come to Christ? Because to come to Christ means nothing except I've got to pay some money or something to somebody. Is there some kind of dues to be a Christian? You know, you're just trying to No, Christ comes into our life to extinguish and put away all sin in our lives to remove it to change us, to give us godly attributes, to take away our fleshly appetites and to give us this beautiful relationship with Him full of love that doesn't come from our own abilities but comes from His agape love flowing through us, a work of the Spirit. It's a supernatural event that takes place in the believer. In the last days, there's going to be a form of godliness, but we're going to deny the power. And as Paul just said, it doesn't matter if you have the word, if you don't have the power associated with the word, You've got to have the power of God in your life. That's the Holy Spirit. He dwells in you. The Word of God. Sometimes he'll use it in spite of us. But Paul says, I'm not coming to you in word. I'm coming to you in power. And the power of the Holy Spirit in your life with God's Word in your hand is an amazing tool. That's how the world gets changed. That's the way. To change everything. Who is sexually immoral, or covetous, or an idolater, or a violer, or a drunkard, or an extortioner, not even to eat with such a person, if you're a believer? For what have I to do with judging those also who are outside? Do you not judge those who are inside? But those who are outside, God judges. Therefore, put away from yourselves the evil person. And they do, they actually do. And it works just like Paul said it would. Is that shunning? Is that, um, what does that look like, you know, in 2022? What does that look like? Well, it means I'm not okay with gossip. I'm not going to listen to it. I don't want to talk to you about it. You shouldn't be gossiping. It means standing alone. A lot of times it means Broken friendships that were built upon that sin. That's okay. Because when that person that they looked up to walks away and says, I can't participate in that sin anymore. I don't want to do that anymore. God's convicted me of it. I'm I'm not going to do that anymore. That person that hasn't felt that conviction all of a sudden feels that conviction. That spreads too. Just like the sin can spread through the church, so can righteousness, so can holiness. It's a beautiful thing. And we're called to that. And Paul calls him to that. Thank goodness that he does. We need to hear it. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for your word tonight. Thank you for Paul's heart to truly understand the sinful condition of man. Truly understand what the good news of Jesus Christ dying on the cross for our sins has done for us. That's given us the freedom and the opportunity to no longer be ruled and, ru- and, and run by our, by our sins. We can break free from that. And we have been broken free. And we can now walk in the newness of life. We can walk in obedience now. Before, we were slaves to our flesh. But not anymore. Now we can walk and choose to be holy. Choose to walk with the Lord. Choose to be loving and gracious and merciful and long-suffering and kind, full of joy to be a blessing to those around us, to minister the good news to all those who are, they're, they're weighed down with guilt and shame. They may have excused it or come up with reasons for why they carry that backpack of sin with them wherever they go and all the penalties that are coming because of it. But Lord, we have the opportunity to tell them they can take that off. They can be forgiven. They can be right with God. They can know and have assurance of salvation. They can know that they have a place with you. Help us to walk that way. Help us to be light. Help us to be salt. Help us to shout it from the mountaintops, God, not to be ashamed of the gospel. Help us to be full of your spirit that we might have the power associated with that, that like Peter, although he knew when he was filled with your Holy Spirit, when he shared, there's power. We desire that, Lord. Help us to walk that way, starting now, Lord. Starting now, help us to walk that way. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. If you need prayer before you go, please come up. Be glad to pray with you. Otherwise, have a good rest of the week.